Good evening. Welcome to St. James, uh, guys, and for the midweek Lent service, and welcome to whoever's watching on the live stream, too. Uh, stand with me, if you would, and let's begin uh, with prayer. Uh, pray with me. The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and peace at the last. Amen. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to herald your love in the morning, your truth at the close of the day. Please remain standing for the hymn. confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, 
the thoughts and words and deeds of which I am ashamed, but some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. By the mercy of God, we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, and in Him we are forgiven. We rest now in His peace and rise in the morning to serve Him. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from Romans chapter 13. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Ten Commandments. It's uh, something we all, everybody who's gone through confirmation classes talked about the Ten Commandments. And uh, it's sort of a Christianity 101, right? It's uh, kind of a, a baseline of knowledge. I mean, um, almost everybody, even in our uh, now currently post-Christian, post-religious culture knows about the Ten Commandments. So, uh, you know, think about something, trying to think about something uh, new and fresh to say about them that will allow us to get in to what they mean is always a challenge. Uh, but let's talk about them tonight. Not, uh, we won't talk about each of the commandments, but talk about the commandments as a whole, what they are and what they do, and what their point is. When I was a kid, I took uh, piano lessons uh, real young, my sisters and I, from a teacher that um, she taught like gospel-style uh, uh, piano playing. And when I was in elementary school, uh, my parents decided that they wanted to send me to a teacher that taught classical music. And if you've, if you've ever taken piano lessons, you kind of know how it works with a, a lot of teachers. You play a song, you're, you're assigned a song for the week, maybe two songs, and, and you play those songs, and you, you practice them, and you come back, and if you can kind of play them through without stopping, the teacher will typically say, okay, you've passed that song, now let's move on to the next song. And then you work your way through a book, and if there's 30 songs in the book, it might take you, you know, four or five months to get through that book. But you're basically doing a song a week, working on a song a week. Well, my parents sent me to this uh, new teacher who was, uh, she was old. She had never been married. She lived with her mother, who was uh, older than her. Uh, and she was brutal. Uh, I, the first time I, I, I thought this, okay, this, I, I know how this works. I know how piano lessons, works. piano lessons work. And she listened to my sister and I play, and then she met with us individually, and she said, okay, here's what you're going to do this week. Uh, you're gonna, you are going to practice these three measures. So if you don't know anything about music, you know, that's the th three measures is basically what you can play in about five seconds, five or six seconds. You're going to practice that this week, these three measures, and then you're going to come back. And there was a piece of music that I was assigned and it literally took me seven or eight months to actually play that whole piece of music for her to the point where she said, okay, let's move on to something different. Uh, she was not gentle. She was very firm. She would smack her hand on the side of the piano if I was doing something that she didn't like. 
She would make me, uh, it wasn't just enough to play the right notes at the right time. Uh, she wanted me to play it with phrasing, and she wanted me to hold my fingers a certain way. We, I, we did finger, I'd always done finger exercises, you know, it's kind of the five minutes at the front of your piano lesson that you do, and okay, well, let's now get on to the song that you're playing. And there would be sometimes it would just be, that's all you're going to do this week, is play these finger exercises. And I, I, did, not, I did not like her at first, and, uh, but over the course of time, I got to the point where I began to care about the music like she did. I realized that up to that point, I hadn't cared about the music. I had thought of music as something that you do it and then you move on instead of you find a piece of beautiful music and you sit inside of it until you have it, until it becomes a part of you, until you don't need to think about it. It can just come out of your fingers. And the only way for her to get me to that point was to say, I'm sorry, bub, you're going to be practicing these three measures for the next three weeks. That was the only way for her to do it. But over time, like I said, over time, I came to realize that she didn't dislike me, that actually her being hard on me was the same thing as her loving that music and her wanting me to love that music too. I think it's probably high time that we Lutherans have a moment where we start to see the law like this. We have, a, we have an existential problem with the law, Lutherans do. Like we are told from the very earliest times that the law is not your friend. The law is here to crush you. The law is here to humiliate you and to drive you to Jesus, all of which is absolutely true, and it's in the Bible. But of course, there's a lot more in the Bible about the law than just the law is going to crush you. And so I can't tell you how many times I've talked to, even some of you who've been like, I really struggle, like you'll say something to me like, I really struggle when David says, oh, how I love your law. I don't understand how that's possible. Well, it's not, we have a hard time understanding how David can love the law because we see the law as cruel. And I just want to play the music. You know, okay, it's got to be there because, you know, it's, okay, it shows me my sin and it goes to Jesus. But then when I get to Jesus, you know, free from the law. I'm free from the law. I'm no longer under the law. And so we get this attitude about the law that, well, you know, it's there. It's necessary to drive us to Christ. But once we have Jesus, of course, it's, you know, we don't have to do it. We have forgiveness now at this point. This is an extremely unfortunate way to think about the law and the Ten Commandments. And if we're going to grapple with the, the, the vast majority of the Bible talking about the law is that the, that the law is good and holy and just and beautiful. And if we're going to get to that point, we've got to understand exactly what the law is doing if we want to learn to love it. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to love because it tastes, you know, it's not, it's not, like, it's not like getting ice cream. It's like getting a 45-minute piano lesson where you only play two measures. But over the course of a year, you'll fall in love with those two measures because you'll realize that the music is beautiful and the person who's trying to get you to love that music loves you too. That's the main point I want to make tonight is that the Ten Commandments start and are completed by love. They're all about love. They're all about God's covenant love for us. They're all about God's desire for us to share that covenant love with each other. They're all about love. They're not primarily even a tool to drive us to Christ. That's only as a, that, that, do you understand? So you guys have heard about the three uses of the law. Let me make a little theological digression here for a second. You guys have, so this is okay, confirmation class stuff. There's the three uses of the law, right? There's the curb use 
Uh, and uh, all Protestants love the three uses of the law. There's the curb use. It's designed to keep society, you know, people are less likely to murder each other because God's planted on our hearts, thou shalt not murder. There's the second use. That's the one that we Lutherans like. It's super biblical and super important. The law is a whip to drive us to Christ. Then there's the third use, the use of the law that says the law is just and beautiful and it is a pattern for Christians to follow. If you ask yourself the question, which one of those is most important? The second use, the law driving us to Christ, or the third use, the law as a beautiful picture of Jesus that should be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, emulated, something that we can love. Which one's the most important? Well, let me ask you this. Which one is temporary? The law as a whip to drive us to Christ is extremely temporary. When Jesus returns and makes all things new, we will never, ever again look at the law as something that crushes us. But the law is God's character. That is eternal. We will for all eternity be rejoicing in thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That will be our song for eternity. Now you tell me which one's most important. And which, if we're living on this side of the resurrection, we should focus on more. There will, always be a, there will always be a place for the second use of the law. We will always need to be reminded that we are incapable of saving ourselves. And we are always going to be lawbreakers and we need to be driven to Jesus. But as Christians, powered by the Holy Spirit, living in light of the resurrection, we got to learn to love the law because it's who we are. It's the best picture we have of the character of our God. That side of Jesus Christ himself. So the law begins and is completed by love. So let me talk about those two things. The laws, the, the laws begins with love, and the law is completed, made complete, fulfilled by love. So first of all, the law begins with love. Some of you have heard me say this before. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments don't start with, you shall have no other gods before me in verse 3, although that's the first commandment. They actually start with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before you get to the rules... Before you get to the actual laws, God wants to say, I am your God and you are my people and I have redeemed you from slavery. I am in love with you. I have chosen you and you are mine. And so, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You shall not misuse my name, etc. That only flows out of the fact that God has saved us. The law, it's, now, I don't, know who, who, I don't know who believes this. If there's anybody in here, I'd be surprised, but perhaps you struggle with this. The notion that the Ten Commandments at one point were the way to get God's favor was never correct. The Ten Commandments were never the way to earn God's favor. The Ten Commandments were given to people who already had God's favor. The children of Israel who had been chosen out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. The Ten Commandments were always the house rules. They were never the way that you got into the house. They were always the way that you would keep peace in the house once you were inside the house. That was the way they were always in there. They were always, they always flowed out of God's love for us. And in fact, it's interesting, isn't it, that God does not give Israel the Ten Commandments to Moses at the burning bush. God does not give Israel the Ten Commandments when Moses gets to Egypt and says to Pharaoh the first time, let my people go. He does not give Israel the Ten Commandments on the banks of the Red Sea. He waits until they are completely liberated from Egypt, and then he says, here's my law. Now that you know who I am, here's my law. 
<clears throat> Rabbi Ishmael said, was, this, was asked, this is uh, about 2,000 years ago now, he was asked why God waited so long in the Exodus to give the Ten Commandments to his people. Now I'm quoting from part of the Talmud. And Rabbi Ishmael responded, suppose a man entered a city and said, I shall rule over you. The inhabitants would, of course, say, who are you and what have you done for us? Instead, what should the man do? He will build a city wall. He will build aqueducts. He will lead them in battles. And then he will declare, I shall rule over you. And they will gladly say yes. That's why God's law comes after redemption. Because if you, if you have grasped, the problem, if, if the, the problem of the hatred of the law flows out of a lack of recognition of a loving God. We are still trapped in the notion that God is an angry judge who is just waiting to zap us. Now, Jesus died, and so he doesn't get the pleasure of doing that. He's kind of in a corner now. He made this agreement where if we believe in Jesus, he won't zap us. But he would like to. And the Ten Commandments are a reminder that he's got that gun. He's not going to use it. He made his deal. He's going to stick by his word. Instead of understanding that the law does not flow, does not flow out of his power, the law flows out of his love. Yes, it's his authority. It's his power, of course. But the primary basis of the Ten Commandments is God's love for us. He saves us, he redeems us, and he says, and now look, you get to be my people. We don't just owe God obedience because he's in, he's in charge. The sort of grudging compliance that many of us Protestants will give, but only reluctantly. Instead, we're given the privilege of obeying him because he loves us. He loves us. That means his law is good for us. Your mom doesn't give you, your mom in her love does not feed you food that's not good for you. Intentionally, she's not perfect, of course. When your mom does something for you, you assume on the basis of her love for you that it's good. Why is it that when we know that God loves us, we assume that the law is not good? It's because we've actually stopped believing that God's loved us. And his law is good for us. It's designed for, our, it's designed for our benefit. It's designed to make us happy. Harry saved up his hard-earned dollars a few years ago and uh, bought himself a headset that he could use when he played video games on his PS4. That way he could talk to his friends and he could hear them and he could listen to the audio of the games and not bug everybody else in the house. Well, he, sp he spent his money on this headset, and then we couldn't get it to work. We didn't know, we, we didn't know how this particular headset matched up with the PS4. We, we plugged it into the PS4, and no sound would come through there, and nobody could hear him talk. And We set it aside, and it was kind of frustrating, and he was, a little, he was disappointed because he'd spent money on it. Well, then, of course, I did the thing that you, you know, I should have done in the first place, which is go online and find uh, the manufacturer's directions for the head, headset and figure it out. And then, you know, we go through the steps and then it works. Now he knows how to use it and he can talk to his friends and he can hear them talking and he can, uh, he can use this headset to play video games. It would be stupid. That's a harsh word. I'm sorry. It, it would be unwise to say, I don't know why we got to obey these rules anyway. This is crazy. I don't know why I have to obey these rules. The rules are there. The manufacturer's directions are there because the manufacturer wants you to enjoy the headset. And the manufacturer puts the rules online because the manufacturer knows that if you don't follow the rules, you won't get to enjoy the headset. 
And we all just sort of naturally, intuitively get that. This is what the Ten Commandments are. God has designed his world to work a certain way. God has created headsets. And he knows there's a certain way that they work and there's a certain way that they don't work. And he gives us in the Ten Commandments the rules for how they work. And if we follow those rules, the headset works great. Life works well when we're obeying God's rules. Not because God's sitting there saying, necessarily, not because God's sitting there saying, okay, I'm going to give you these 10 rules. If you can get 8 out of 10 today, I'm going to do something nice for you. It's not necessarily that's the way that it works. It's because God knows that you are actually completed and fulfilled when you're not stealing. God knows that by honoring your parents and honoring the authorities, life will go well for you. God knows that by not taking his name in vain, life will go well for you. By not committing adultery, life will go well for you. God designs these manufacturing directions, and then he gives them to us and says, I'm giving these to you because I actually love you, and I want your life to be happy and fulfilled. I don't mean all the time, ha, 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 happy, but fulfilled and at peace and at one with me and at one with the world. And questions about whether I, this is a typical question that you'll get like in youth confirmation. So do I have to, do I have to obey the law then? Is in this sense, nonsense, right? Uh, unwise or stupid, like I originally said. No, if you want the headset to work, you actually get to obey the rules. It's not a question of like, do I have to? It's a question of like, this is the way life works best because a loving God made it work best. It begins with love. The manu- so it's probably, it's probably kind of strong to say that the manufacturer of that headset loves me, loves Harry. But in a sense, that's what it is. The manufacturer of that headset wants Harry to enjoy the headset. God wants you to enjoy his world. The law finds its beginning in love. It also finds its completion in love. Three things I want to say here, and and I'll make this quick. We experience God's love for us in obedience. We experience our love for God in obedience. And we experience love for each other in obedience to the Ten Commandments. First of all, we experience God's love for us in obeying the Ten Commandments. When we obey the Ten Commandments, we are experiencing God's love for us. We are living in the middle of God's love for us. Deuteronomy 6.24 says this. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6.24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. When we are obeying God's law, this is related to the point I just made, when we are obeying God's law, we should know that it's, God has given us that for our good always to preserve us alive. Life is found in obeying God's law. In other words, the law preserves us alive if we keep it. We find life and liberty in God's law. The problem, though, of course, is that here's the the kink in the chain. The problem is, and this is weird, the problem is we really don't want the headphones to work. Now, you know I'm not talking about Harry's headphones now. I'm talking about law. I'm talking about life and how the law relates to it. We want to be critical of our spouse or of a close friend because of what they, how they treat us. But we have no intentions at all of doing our part to bolster that relationship. We're upset with our sister because she's been gossiping about us for years. But we have no intent to forgive her if she would ever actually ask for forgiveness. There's a part of every human that wants to undermine God's world. It's what the fall does to us. In the analogy, it would be like this. 
Harry gets the headset. The headset's not working. Harry wants the headset to work, but there's a part of him that takes some sort of evil, twisted, delicious delight in the headset not working, in the bitterness that he gets to express because of this crummy headset, in the thought that there's some manufacturer out there that's just hosing him, taking his money. There's some sort of evil, twisted delight that we all experience in that. So if Deuteronomy 6.24 is going to be true, and we are going to find life and living in the Ten Commandments, we're going to need more than just the Ten Commandments. In fact, that's what Jesus comes to do. Jesus comes to die and rise from the dead so that life, not our life, but his resurrection life, can work inside of us to actually desire the headphones to work, to actually want to offer forgiveness, to want to not harbor bitterness, to want to give up sins which are really, really kind of tasty to us, which we hate normally, but the thought of giving them up is just too painful. It's only the resurrection of Jesus that can do this. But when Jesus dies and rises from the dead, he gives us the desire and the ability to begin to keep the Ten Commandments and to experience God's love for us in that obedience. Second thing, we experience our love for God in obedience. Jesus says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. And what Jesus means by that is, well, he goes on to say, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. What Jesus means by that is, is that the way that we as creatures relate to him as God is always, if we understand who he is, obedience to his loving directions. If I say to my child, get out of the street right now, and they stand in the street and say, why? They're going to get hit by a car. But even if they don't, there's in my mind this notion of like, why would you not trust me? You've got to trust me. You've got to believe me. Like, I love you, kid. When I tell you to get out of the street, you've got to just come, no questions asked, because I have a good reason for doing that. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, that's what he's saying. You've got to trust me, kid. If you know for a fact that I love you, when I tell you, keep this law, you'll do it because you just know that it's coming from a good place and it's designed for your good, even if you don't know why. Trusting the God who loves us, loving the God who loves us, means obeying his commandments. And then lastly, by obeying the law, we experience love for each other. This is our epistle reading for today, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, etc., are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't sin, and so love is the fulfilling of the law. Obedience to God's law is our primary mission to each other. What does the mission in Glen Carbon look like? Baseline, loving the God who gave us the law, loving each other by keeping the law. That's why a famous text, I mean, I quote it so much in here, and in adult Bible studies, I feel bad about it. The text right before the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 19, God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings, wings and brought you to myself. So again, he starts with, he starts with grace. He starts with covenant love. He starts with redemption. Now, therefore, because I've redeemed you, because I love you, because you're my children, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, God tells Moses. If you keep my law, you'll be a kingdom of priests. 
I think I probably used to read that as that. Okay, so you're telling me that I have to keep God's law in order to be his child? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you already are my child. I redeemed you. That's why he starts with I redeemed you out of Egypt. What he's saying is this. He's saying if you keep my law, then you'll be on the mission I've designed for you. You will be kingdoms of priests. What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? I think this is probably review for us in here. To be a kingdom of priests means that God has called us to rule over Glen Carbon as his priest, not for our own benefits, but like priest, communicating the presence of God to Glen Carbon. God has called St. James to be his kingdom of priests to communicate him to Glen Carbon. How do we do that? Well, it says it right there. Keep my commandments. We will never be more on mission. We will never be better evangelist than we are faithfully keeping God's law because we know he loves us, because we love him, and because we love each other. The law begins and is completed in covenant love. All right, stand with me and let's pray. Pray with me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In righteousness I shall see you. When I awake, your presence will give me joy. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of life may find our rest in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And taught by our Lord in trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you and keep you. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength.